There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. What is up, Freedom Jumpers? It is time for the last two episodes of the Agency Freedom Podcast in 2022. I haven't done a solo episode in a while, and a lot has gone on with a couple of huge accounts for my office, and I wanted to share with you some lessons learned from me losing about $50,000 in revenue on these two accounts. So I'm going to jump in to this solo episode in uh, just a moment. Wanted to drop a little trailer for uh, next week's episode. It will drop right at the very end of the year, and it's all about how to launch your own podcast in 2023 or beyond, and what I think and have experienced personally in my own podcasting journey that is going to help you do your own thing, either in the insurance industry or local in your market. There's a lot of different ways that you can leverage the power of the podcast to make something happen in your community and in your agency. So back for this episode here, I'm going to set up the story and uh, it, it starts really about three years ago. The two accounts in question, both of them were very large for our agency. Uh, one was about 28000 in revenue, and the other uh, was about 22000 in revenue. One was a roofer, and one uh, was a, an investor who owned seven hotel properties. I'm going to go with the roofer first. And just kind of lay out the story here, and then I'm going to tell you very specifically a handful of lessons that I have learned from two painful situations, honestly. You know, it's a little bit weird for me to share with you guys exactly where and how I lost and the mistake that I made. And I'll be very specific on mistakes that I made. Hopefully, you can learn from them. I certainly have learned and will continue to. But I thought it was a great opportunity to pull the curtain back and be vulnerable and transparent and some of the things that I have just plain missed on because you know a lot of times you know people out there uh, in in audience land may be tempted to think uh, that because someone is a well-known and reasonably successful podcaster, that means they generally uh, are great at, at being an agent uh, and and leading a team and not making huge blunder mistakes. And that's simply not true. I make my fair share of mistakes just like anybody else in the industry. My success at risk well 
and our growth uh, that is way above average does not mean that we are immune in any way to making ridiculous blunders and lapses in judgment. So I hope this episode is instructional and useful for your purposes. So we're just going to jump right in. And I'm actually going to flip it around here because the list that I made uh, starts with the, the hotel account first. Let me set up the backstory here. We got an inbound call in uh, the early stages of COVID. This was in probably September of 2020. And the guy owned seven hotel properties. They're all national brands uh, like Choice Hotels and Best Western. There was a Hyatt property uh, down in Houston. And he reached out and was upset with his current agent and was looking for a better solution. And I don't have any specific expertise in hotels or hospitality or resorts and whatnot. I generally have a great understanding of property and I I know what the concerns are of a real estate investor, which at the end of the day, in a hotel motel, most of your exposure uh, is going to be property of some sort, uh, unless you've got a bar and, you know, these properties didn't have any real bar or kitchen exposure. It was pretty much just your bread and butter, typical, you know, hotel, motel, hospitality kind of accounts. The guy had seven properties. Like I said, they were scattered all over the place in four different states. And there were four different agents among those seven properties. We were able to take over the account, the entire account, and insure all seven properties Uh, We took it over by BOR and we went out to market and did a good job in placement. Uh, Liberty did the GL for most of the properties and we got an excess tower up about 10 million in coverage. Now, the process and communication up to that point had been entirely phone and text. And then email came in later for swapping documents and whatnot. But this guy uh, never met him in person and he is... Uh, Kind of the middle of the bell curve for your typical hotel motel client. Uh, He is of Indian descent. uh, And there were some communication issues uh, from the beginning. He's very standoffish and distrusting in general. And uh, one of the things that I will get into here in just a second, as far as lessons learned, is these kind of problems that we'll discuss in a moment started very early. They were apparent very early on in the process with my communication, with my engagement with the client. And uh, everything went exactly as it should for the first go around. Uh, We fixed a lot of issues on the account. We got the coverage where it should be, the valuations on the building where they should be. They were badly undervalued before. There was a lot of missing coverage and lots of holes and gaps and important things like EPLI uh, for employment practices liability the work comp policy in Texas wasn't set up the right way. Um, We fixed a lot of things that needed fixing. The challenge really is, it's complex because there are a lot of stereotypes in the Indian community that uh, people are difficult and very cheap and not listening to value and coverage arguments. They just care about the price. And I thought I was able to overcome some of those issues with this client and got him the right coverage for his properties, the right value for his buildings, and everything carried on. 
you know, we got about two months into that first year and that's where the cracks really started to show because I made the mistake of uh, having a conversation with him on my personal cell rather early on in the, the relationship and he took that information and basically started abusing the access that I had given him uh, with text messages uh, coming in whenever he was unhappy about something or needed something to my phone and a lot of requests for, hey, there's a form on the website, please email my team, let's uh, not have this text conversation, just completely ignored all of those and continued to text me for literally two years. And I was wrong in the way that I approached the communication and, and not sticking to my guns a little bit and, and saying, hey, this is my personal cell, would you mind please using the, the communication that can access my team? Because all I'm doing is taking what you're sending me and copy and pasting it into a message to my team or an email that needs to go out to the right party. I didn't handle the communication correctly. So that's the first uh, lesson learned that I need to set clear expectations for the insured and then I need to stick to them. That's the important part because the expectations being set means nothing if you don't stick to them. The insured is going to walk all over you if you don't set clear expectations and stick to them. Case in point, uh, I have well over 100 text messages on my personal phone uh, from this guy over the course of two years, uh, and that's, you know, that's not great. We get about three months into that first year, and we start having a lot of issues with these national franchisees, you know, Best Western and Choice Hotels and Wyndham and some others uh, that were you know, sending documentation and the insured would get involved in conversation where they shouldn't and created unnecessary complications with, uh, you know, asking for things that were not in line with what these third parties were asking for uh, and being very specific in their needs for the certificates in ways that were not aligned with what the third party was requesting. And there's a lot of inefficiency that was brought out in that uh, that relationship, mostly because of just a lack of, of clear communication happening where we did not have the right systems and processes in place to deal with a very high volume of certificate requests. That is the next lesson learned. You've got to have your systems and processes and workflows, or as we call them here uh, at Riskwell, your SPW, systems, processes, and workflows, it has to be dialed in. And if you don't have your SPW dialed in, you're going to experience a lot of fallout and you're going to have consequences in your business, uh, both at the efficiency level and at the profitability level. Because if three emails go out to deal with a situation that could and should have been dealt with in a single email, that's a big problem. So the certificates and whatnot, we had to make adjustments. Part of the problem that we ran into was we discovered after we had written all of the policies is that we didn't ask all the right questions in discovery because we found out that there were other policies that were in place from other agents that were not disclosed to us on the front end. Now, we found out about an umbrella policy. We found out about a, a mechanical breakdown and failure. And we found out about a work comp policy outside of Texas that was not disclosed to us. 
And we don't have control over any of these things. And the hotel uh, chains, the national brands, are asking for policy information to be included on certificates. The challenge is we don't control those policies. So it created, it manufactured out of thin air quite a bit of complexity on simple documents like certificates simply because we did not ask the right questions in discovery. We did not shake the trees and find out, hey, these ancillary policies that are not primary, that we typically don't spend a lot of time thinking about at the point of sale, where are they? Do you have any other policies with any other agents anywhere in your account? We didn't ask that question, and we definitely should have. So fast forward to uh, the first renewal of that account. The property market in the states where these thing, these uh, properties are, were located, these hotels, all of them are hardening to a significant degree. And I have the conversation with the insured and set the stage for you're going to see some big increases. Meanwhile, uh, he has a friend of a family member, I believe it was a friend of his cousin, uh, who owned several properties as well and said, hey, you should talk to this this guy so-and-so. And this is the first renewal. Uh, this is about a year and a half ago as we're you know doing our pre-renewal work and lining up the statement of values, the SOV spreadsheet and whatnot, making sure that we have all the necessary information to get the renewal done nice and fast. And we get about two months out from the renewal and I get a letter uh, for a, a BOR. And the BOR, a broker of record letter, uh, basically says that the insured has chosen to take their business elsewhere. And I call uh, the insured and basically say, hey, what's going on? We're in the middle of working on your renewal. I got this letter that you're moving the business somewhere else. And he said, oh, yeah, so-and-so can get it for me cheaper. I was like, okay, well, you mind sending me that quote? And he sent it to me. And it was full of holes. It was not apples to apples. It wasn't even close to apples to apples coverage. There was lots of exposure there. And I brought up those points to the insured. And it took a lot of convincing, a lot more than it should have. It took a lot of convincing, but I was able to get the insured to see the value of what we were doing and how it was the correct coverage, how he wasn't exposed to significant financial challenges in the event of a loss. And we got the signature on the rescission letter. And uh, that, that was a surprise, honestly. I didn't expect to get it back at that point. Uh, I thought we had probably lost the account. And then he goes and adds in two more properties after he got the rescission letter back to us and says, hey, um, I have these other two properties that I never told you about. Um, can you include those in my, uh, in my program? And of course, we did. We're perfectly happy to do that. And we get done with the first renewal of this account we're definitely not on the best of ground. The communication is still a real challenge. And I was surprised that we won that renewal. So we get back around and now we're into this year and things have really fallen apart. Uh, the The text messages are short and, and testy and I can tell that there's irritation and tension because there's a lot of billing issues on the account and we have to chase this guy down to make payments to avoid you know cancellation for non-pay. This happens probably five or six times in the span of one policy term. And honestly, if it wasn't such a huge account, I would have just said, you know what? Screw it, guy. Uh, you're no longer welcome here. We're not your babysitter. And we're not going to keep bugging you about paying your bill. 
get on auto pay, get on ACH or pay in full or go away. And that is the next lesson that I learned. And it's simply that you deserve what you allow. If you allow bad behavior from an insured, they will keep doing it because they don't care about you. They don't care about your way of doing things unless you stick to your guns and give them a reason uh, why they should care. They're not going to listen. So if you don't push back in any way, if they just you know, behave badly and you don't say anything about it, you just take it and run with it, they're going to keep continuing to behave badly. So this goes on this year and as, as you can imagine where the story is going, it comes around again and before we can even deliver anything on the renewal, the insured says, hey, I'm done with you, I don't like your communication, I don't like the way that you have taken care of my account and I am signing a BOR and going to this friend of my cousin that I almost went to last year. And at that point, I was so done with the guy, it was literally like a good riddance, go away. I literally just said, okay, in my text message. I call the underwriter and I say, hey, go ahead and kill your renewal efforts. The guy BOR'd the whole account, he's going away. And the underwriter knows me pretty well. And the underwriter says, so are you happy or are you mad? Because I have a feeling you're probably not mad. It's like, are you kidding? I've never been so happy to lose a big account in my life. This guy's the biggest pain in the butt that I've ever experienced. He's rude, he's abrasive, he's presumptuous, and he never says you know, anything positive. It is always just a beat down communicating with this guy. And at the end of the day, I lost about $22,000 in revenue uh, in the renewal not coming up. And the the lesson here really is, as we kind of wrap up this part of the episode, is the importance of staying in your lane and don't chase a dollar outside your area of expertise. I didn't know the nuances and details of dealing with a nationally franchised hotel location, much less seven locations on one account, and with four different chains. Now, in this one account, we had to deal with Hyatt, and Wyndham, and Best Western, and uh, Choice Hotels. Four different national brands, each of which have their own nuances, their own expectations in what the policy has, and how the certificate looks, and the language used. There was a lot of complexity that I was not prepared for when I took on the account. And the simple fact is, if it weren't a hospitality account, if it was in something that I had a much better understanding of, something in construction or something in the software tech world or healthcare world, or uh, dare I say it, a roofer, as we'll talk about here in just a moment. And with the second story, I would have been a lot better prepared to deliver a great experience for the insured, and I would have been much better prepared for our and uh, our operational standards and the way that we engaged with and got stuff done for this insured. Because of these mistakes, the profit on the account was a lot less because the service load was extreme and each individual service ticket was handled in, in a less than ideal fashion simply because we were not set up for hospitality accounts. We didn't know exactly how to deal with some of the nuance and we paid the price for it. We were lucky enough to get one renewal out of the account, but we lost it at the second renewal in large part to me having a failure of expectations set 
and allowing bad behavior from the insured, and I didn't listen to that cautious voice in the back of my head. I plowed forward because I wanted the money. I was greedy. And it's hard to admit that sometimes, but when you're greedy, when you see dollar signs, your judgment can be clouded. Is it nice having a $22,000 revenue account? Yeah, it's real nice. When you look at the amount of work that went into it, the amount of after-hours communication that I personally had to deal with, and the service load, the profit on that account is significantly less than a similar $22,000 revenue account uh, in a vertical that we're a lot more comfortable with. So that was the story, uh, the first part of the story of, you know, lessons learned from losing a big fat account. Now I'm going to go ahead and switch to the second part of our episode here. And this one stings a lot more. I'll be totally honest with you because unlike the first story, the second one we had a great relationship with. We got it as a referral uh, from a channel partner. Their property uh, project manager at this uh, roofing company was a friend of mine from church and we got a shot. I love working with roofers. I understand roofers at a very, very deep level. Uh, they make up a, a good portion of our commercial book of business. And I'm gonna just going to jump through a little bit of the story here because we had the account for three years and we lost it uh, back in November. And it, it hurts, I'm not going to lie. Uh, this one was 28000 in revenue. And we knew going into earlier this year that things were not on the best of footing uh, when we lost the work comp policy uh, by BOR uh, to another agent and they stayed with the same carrier. And the insured at that point, uh, the carrier was Amerisafe, in case you're wondering. Amerisafe is really good with roofers and construction accounts, especially multi-state operations, which this insured was. We lost the work comp because I made a tactical error and did not communicate clearly what I was doing the insured had grown to the point uh, that they were having some real challenges with managing their payroll and their work comp policy. So I suggested the possibility of them uh, going into a PEO. And we have a couple of great PEOs that we uh, work with. Shout out to David Carruthers for introducing me to one of his uh, that's located in Florida but serves a bunch of states across the country. I made the suggestion that we should take a look at a PEO as a potential alternative to the traditional uh, work comp model. And the insured misunderstood what I was saying as you need to go into a PEO and he didn't want to. So he took the account that was almost 400000 in work comp premium and moved it over to another agent uh, by BOR. So that was the first part. That was the first indication that something was wrong. And then out of the blue, literally out of the blue, when we had, and this is like a few days after we had had a 45-minute pre-renewal conversation uh, back in November, I get the notice that he's moving his policies over to the other agent who already had the work comp policy. The hard part for me here is that I just plain got beat. It wasn't anything where, you know, we, you know, made a mistake it wasn't that we had something that didn't work correctly. We did everything that we were supposed to on this account. We had regular communication during the year. 
We had value ads. I helped them install a return to work program as well as light duty. We had audit analysis. We stayed out in front of everything. We did precisely what we are supposed to do. We just plain got beat. We got beat by a much larger office that had better value add services, that had in-house claims management, that had some of the other things that we are not currently set up to do. The most important thing though, and this is one of the big lessons learned, is they brought up the captive idea, the group captive idea of stepping out of traditional insurance and moving into a captive and then later on potentially a single parent captive, you know, once they get a little bit bigger. And the lesson learned is this, whoever brings it up first gets credit for the idea. I'm very well aware of the way that captives work. I, I'm equipped to have a captive conversation. Uh, that's something that's in my toolbox. And I had mentioned the idea of quote unquote alternative risk transfer programs to the insured back at the beginning of 2022 as we were just talking shop about some other things. And he was expressing frustration at how expensive his insurance was getting because uh, they've grown from about a $2 million revenue company to about a $16 million revenue company in three years. So you can imagine the difference in the insurance cost uh, from his perspective. But I didn't get credit for bringing up the captive idea because I didn't specifically bring it up and say, hey, this is something we may want to consider as an option. The other agent did, and they got credit for the idea. Another wrinkle I wanted to bring to you is the two people that I had for contacts at this company both of them left the company in the span of six months and I was unaware of it for a few months until after it had happened. So both of my key contacts were gone. And the lesson learned is if you're not asking questions uh, of staying in front of things regularly of, hey, any change in your staff, uh, any, any adjustments that I should be aware of, you know, what does your succession plan look like? You know, having these conversations once a quarter, biannually, whatever it happens to be, if you're asking the questions about the staff and the strategy and the direction, the operations, then you're going to get more insight than if you're just staying in insurance land. My two key contacts left, which means that my rapport largely went out the window as well. So the, uh, the lessons are hard, especially with a $28,000 revenue account. Uh, the last two things I want to, uh, to bring up here are uh, very simply that you have to stay aware of the internal changes in your VIP clients. You've got to have your finger on the pulse. Um, not for everybody, but for sure your VIP, your top five, your top 10, maybe top 15 or 20 of your clients. Uh, you can draw the line wherever you want to. But when you have a VIP client, it is really important that you are staying plugged in with their operation and the nuances of how they you know, function internally. Because if something happens that changes the nature of your relationship where the influencer or the key decision maker shifts, then you need to know about that ASAP because it could impact your ability to retain the account. It surely did mine. And the last thing I'll say here is sometimes you just plain get beat. You get outmatched, outclassed, you know, out-resourced, or just, you know, out 
salesed or persuaded, where somebody else has a better pitch than you did and they're able to deliver more perceived value than you did. The important thing is that you learn from it and that you make it harder to beat you next time. As long as you are successfully learning from a loss, it doesn't become a failure. There's a big difference between a loss and a failure. And that is probably the last thing to leave you with on this episode talking about the lessons that I learned from losing $50,000 in revenue in a 48-hour period a month or so ago. Look forward to hearing from you as we move into 2023 and beyond. This is something uh, that we're going to be spending a lot of time with in the coming weeks, uh, connecting uh, with our listeners and jumping in uh, and to see what you want to hear Uh, the topics that are important to you. Keep an eye out at the beginning of 2023. We're going to be starting the year with something that is going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It's a podcaster's series of episodes. I am bringing in guests who have their own podcast uh, from across the industry and have them sit in the interview chair and you get to hear from them a little bit more of an off-the-cuff, an organic kind of feel putting them on the other side of the microphone, as it is said. Going to have a lot of fun to start uh, 2023. So that is it for this episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Thank you for uh, sticking it out with my voice being all jacked up the way that it is, but I couldn't let my streak go. I'm not about to throw some, you know, throwback or best or favorite episode up instead of having new content. I'm going to try to have new episodes every Friday uh, for as long as humanly possible. So uh, that is it for this episode. Love to connect with you soon. Please visit our website or uh, Facebook group as you see fit. And that is it, boys and girls. Make it a great day. We will talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Let's go.